Hello and welcome to Kaplan's NCLEX PrepCast, brought to you by KaplanNursing.com, which offers prep options for the NCLEX RN and NCLEX PN examinations. In today's podcast episode, we are going to go through some specific NCLEX practice questions that you can practice at home. So whether you are uh, sitting uh, on the bus or if you are somewhere where you're seated and can take notes and play along at home, we're going to encourage you to do so. We're going to go through those practice questions if you're driving in the car, perhaps out running or at the gym, maybe uh, you'll want to try to play along in your head um, or save this podcast episode for when you are seated at a desk and can concentrate on these practice NCLEX questions. And we're going to talk specifically in the beginning about how the NCLEX is organized and we'll discuss some of the specific NCLEX question types and how you can approach those questions on test day and through our practice quiz today. And on the show with us, we have a fantastic guest who has been on the show many times at this point, who is Karen Lilliquist. And she has been in the nursing field, has been an educator, and has been teaching for Kaplan, teaching with the NCLEX with us uh, for about the last 25 years. So welcome back to the show, Karen. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Thanks for coming back onto the show. And your expertise is always uh, so terrific. So we're glad to have you back and have you not only teach us a little bit about the NCLEX question categories, but also how the NCLEX, uh, how, how we can move through specific NCLEX practice questions. So I want to start by reviewing a few things that those who have listened to the podcast before and earlier episodes might have heard. Those who haven't, this will be a good opportunity to kind of catch up to speed on some of the topics we have discussed. Um, and the first question I want to bring up, Karen, is uh, a topic we've talked about before, which is how exactly is the NCLEX different than tests that students might take in nursing school? Well, the NCLEX, um, the National Council Licensure Exam, it is different. It has just one purpose, and that is to determine if you are safe to begin as an entry-level nurse. So when you think about nursing school exams, they tend to be knowledge-based. They tend to be based on what you might have reviewed the past week or two or month in your particular class. You might have a study guide and know what chapters are being covered. But the NCLEX exam is comprehensive, so it really is covering perhaps everything you've learned in nursing school. It tests your application and your analysis, looking at your ability to use the nursing knowledge that you learned. So the test is looking at your ability to make sound nursing judgments, really looking at critical thinking. Yeah, and that's, of course, very different from test that students will take in nursing school and it's uh, the format is of course very different for this exam as well and when we think about the format of the exam we know that there are certainly going to be multiple choice questions but which a lot of students are familiar with but there are also going to be these alternate question types that students will see on test day as well so what exactly are those types of uh, alternate style questions that a student might see on the NCLEX exam and there are a couple. Um, the first is multiple response, or students might know that better as select all that apply. Um, there are fill in the blank, and those will be math calculations. Hotspot questions where there's an image on the screen and the student will use the mouse to click on the area that answers the question. And then there are ordered response questions, which students may have, or candidates may have, a list of 
steps to a procedure, or perhaps they're looking at uh, four different clients with different characteristics, and they may have to put them in the correct order from greatest to least risk in, in terms of looking at, at clients, or in cases of a procedure, put the steps of the procedure in the correct order. Yeah, it's incredible that we could potentially see all these question types on the exam besides just multiple choice. And I don't think we've necessarily covered this before, but why does the NCLEX offer these, I shouldn't say offer, <laughs> why does the NCLEX include, it's not like we're getting this as, a, as an advantage, um, why does the NCLEX include these different types of questions on the exam? One of the reasons is, is really that these alternate question types have a different way of assessing entry-level nursing, a different way of assessing competence. If you think of a multiple choice, a four option multiple choice question, um, you can look at all four answer choices and really compare and contrast. You can eliminate answer choices that might not fit the question or might not be safe. And ultimately, you can narrow it down to select the correct one. But the alternate style questions are different. Um, for example, the multiple response questions require you to select as many statements that are applicable to the scenario. So just like real life, you may select uh, four or five out of six statements. In real life, there's probably more than one item that you might do for a client. Yeah, and it's, I know when we talk about the purpose of the NCLEX, it always comes back to evaluating a nurse's ability to, or nursing student's ability to, um, to be a safe and effective nurse, uh, which is an important aspect of why we have this licensure exam. So of course, like you said, with multiple choice, there's always the opportunity to eliminate and just get, uh, in a way, guess and get it down to the right answer by uh, including the other types of questions. Really, it, it tests nursing students to make sure that they can think in the way they'll have to think <laughs> in real clinical scenarios. So it's good to know that we have those there and, and why they're even there in the first place. So I definitely want to talk about some specifics and especially some of the, the question types that we are going to uh, go through today for some practice. So I want to start with select all that apply. And we know that there are you know, select all that apply is different from multiple choice in the sense that it's more of a, a checklist and identifying what could, what of the, which of the answer choices actually are correct. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about select all that apply questions, perhaps how they're structured. And also I think a common question students have is how many answer choices can be correct with select all that apply questions? A great question. Um, so first of all, select all that apply questions you will know that it's different um, than the multiple choice for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, of course, there will be more than four possible answer choices. You will usually see five or six provided. There's a box in front of each answer choice rather than a radio button that you see. And what you'll do is use your mouse to click in the box for answer choices that you select. Um, if you inadvertently check the box and you don't want to, you can simply click on the box again to uncheck the box. But when you think about it, you have to determine, as you mentioned, which of the answer choices provided are correct. So when you look at a select all that apply, 
each of the answer choices are looked at independently. So you must read each of those answer choices one by one and select all that apply, not just the best response. So there is no partial credit. It, it's either you've selected them appropriately or you haven't. Um, you also asked about how many answers could be correct. And in 2017, um, the NCSBN gave us new rules in that respect. So if you look at the NCSBN website and you take a look at what Kaplan is saying, you will have one, several, or all could be selected. So they've even, they're even more difficult than the, what they were in the past and even more important that you're looking at each answer choice independently in relation to the question that was asked. Yeah, and that of course makes it uh, very difficult. So I know students weren't exactly happy with that change, but it is another way again to evaluate that that students are able to think like nurses and uh, to make sure they're going to be a safe and effective nurse. Uh, so uh, it's great to know a little bit more about those select all that apply uh, questions and. Uh, a follow-up to that is as we're talking about these alternate items, I know that they can appear in any order, but do we have any sense as to how many alternate item questions we'll see on test day? Is it totally random? Is there a set number? Because um, I know students are often concerned with seeing too many select all that apply questions or even the, uh, the other types as well. And I'm, my thought is taking the test, it may seem like all of the questions were select all that apply. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but what we know from the National Council is that the entire test item pool, it, it includes about 20 to 30% select all that apply questions. So in that respect, it, you, your whole test cannot be select all that apply, despite what it's feeling. Um, you, you know, generally speaking, a, a, at least half will be four option multiple choice, and then the remainder of that maybe those alternate style questions. Okay, good. So we're no, we know that it's not going to be the entire exam. That's, that would be a little too challenging. <laughs> um, so the, the other type I want to talk about quickly, and I don't want to dwell too much on this. I definitely want to get to these practice questions, but to, to frame those of you listening at home, to frame your, your state of mind going into this practice QBank, I want to definitely discuss the, the other question type that will uh, practice with today, which is the dose calculation questions. And I knew this is another common question type that students often fear um, because they're very different from multiple choice or select all that apply. So what do students need to know about the dose calculation questions in terms of how they're structured or any methods they can utilize to uh, be able to answer these questions uh, effectively and efficiently? Yes, the dose calculation questions. One of the nice things is that the computer has a drop-down calculator that's available for your use, so don't forget about that. Um, in that same vein as you're practicing, go ahead and use the calculator that's on your computer. It's a, it's a different feel than using the calculator that might be on your phone or a handheld calculator. But in addition to that, you want to take your time to think through the question. You want to know what the question is really asking and know what units you're looking for, because that makes a big difference in terms of setting up the equation and really being confident in your calculation. Um, so for example, if you think through it in your mind, know whether you're looking for a number that's greater or less than one, 
or know if you're looking for the amount of a medication given in one dose or the amount of medication given in 24 hours. The other thing to remember is that each question has unique rounding rules. So don't make up your own or don't carry the rule from a previous question. Make sure that you're looking at the question right in front of you and what that rounding rule, if any, uh, states on that question. All great advice. And I know we're going to practice even that part of it in terms of paying attention to if a question is rounding uh, or requires you to round or not. So good to know how we can approach those types of questions. So I know we've talked quite a bit uh, and, and we have devoted in the past entire episodes just to talk about alternate question types and how to answer those questions, but let's actually get into some practice questions. So for those of you who are listening at home, again, if you are uh, uh, perhaps driving in the car, I'd recommend uh, saving this episode for later on when you're able to completely focus. Uh, we want you to, of course, keep your focus on the road if you are driving. Uh, and for those of you who are maybe uh, out for a run or at the gym, uh, I'd recommend uh, taking a listen to this part, these practice questions when you're able to really sit down uh, and focus on these questions. So um, Karen, what we'll definitely have you do is read out some of these questions and provide the correct answer and perhaps an exclamation as to why that answer is correct and the other answers are incorrect. But uh, at this point, I will turn it over to you, Karen, to walk us through some practice NCLEX questions. Sounds good. Thanks. So we'll start with the four option multiple choice questions. These are most familiar, I think, to all of us. All right. The first one reads, the nurse oversees care activities for a client care area. Which situation will the nurse attend to first? Number one, an angry, an, an angry adult child is threatening to sue the hospital because the confused parent fell out of bed during the previous shift. Number two, the nursing assistive personnel is 30 minutes overdue from a dinner break in the cafeteria for the third time this week. Number three, the healthcare provider calls the unit to ask the nurse to obtain a client's latest serum electrolyte result from the lab. Four, a spouse reports that a client's nose began bleeding after returning from radiation therapy. So again, this question is looking at what situation will the nurse attend to first? Now, when you think about what situation to attend to first, think about what's gonna be the most concerning, uh, safety risk. And of the four that we answered, answer choice number four is gonna be the correct one. The spouse reports that a client's nose began bleeding after returning from radiation therapy. You know, if we think about the ABCs or airway breathing and circulation, the client who's bleeding should be assessed to determine the amount of blood that was lost and what's the reason for it. So that really is our priority answer choice. Now the other ones, of course, you would want to address, but it isn't the priority. So for example, in number one, where you have the angry adult child who's threatening to sue because of a fall, um, yes, that's a safety risk, but tending to the client who's bleeding is the priority. Um, number two talks about really a staffing concern with the aide returning late from a dinner break. And number three, we're asked to call about lab values. We could actually delegate that. 
So of the four answer choices when it comes to client safety, the client that was bleeding, answer choice number four would be the first action. All right, let's try a second question. The nurse provides care for a client with a hemoglobin level of 6.8 grams per deciliter or 68 grams per liter. What intervention does the nurse implement first when providing care for the client? Number one, draw a type and cross match for two units of packed red blood cells. Number two, place the client on two liters of oxygen per nasal cannula. Number three, insert a 19 gauge intravenous catheter. And number four, place the client on a cardiac monitor. So again, you've got a client with a hemoglobin of 6.8. What intervention does the nurse implement first? So we look at, at safety again. We look at priority. Um, on the NCLEX exam, you can do one thing and go home. So there really isn't multitasking. So you have to differentiate why is one more important than another. And in this case, answer choice number two, place the client on two liters of oxygen per nasal cannula will be the priority answer. So this hemoglobin is critically low. And when we think about that, we've got less circulating oxygen. So it's important to be certain really that the available hemoglobin is well oxygenated. So we want to apply the oxygen to the client first to address those oxygenation needs. Now, one thing you needed for this question is to know what a normal hemoglobin is. So for men, that would be 13 to 18 grams per deciliter, 130 to 180 grams per liter. And then for women, it's just a little bit lower, 12 to 16. So knowing the lab values are important, um, more often, more than that is to understand what might your client look like with abnormal lab values and what's the appropriate nursing intervention. Now, as far as the other answer choices, just a quick mention, uh, number one talked about a type and cross match. That is appropriate, absolutely, but you'd want to address that, that oxygenation issue first. Also, number three, inserting a 19-gauge intravenous catheter would be appropriate, and so would placing the client on a cardiac monitor. But if we looked at order, you know, number one, we'd get oxygen. Number two, maybe then we'd do the cardiac monitor, we'd start the intravenous catheter, and finally we'd draw the blood work. But hands down, that oxygenation of the client is going to be most important. All right, our third multiple choice question. The nurse provides care for a client reporting pain at the IV access site. Upon assessment, the nurse notes tenderness and redness at the site and redness proximal along the vein. It's most important for the nurse to take what action? Number one, slow the infusion rate and monitor the client's response. Two, stop the infusion, notify the healthcare provider. Three, remove the IV and apply a pressure dressing. Four, remove the IV and apply warm soaks. So again, here's a client. We've got pain and redness um, at the IV access site. What's gonna be most important? All right, you wanna remove the IV and apply warm soaks. So that the IV catheter you want to remove to prevent any further damage to the vein and the warm soaks, what's 
that will do is decrease the inflammation, decrease swelling, decrease discomfort. All of that will be important. Now, as far as the other answer choices, if you remember, number three said to remove the IV as well, um, but it said apply a pressure dressing. So a pressure dressing would be inappropriate. Um, the client is experiencing inflammation. So the warm soak, number four, is the better answer. And as far as number one and number two, both were wrong. Number one said slow the infusion. Okay, what we, what we uh, talked about, this client has phlebitis. And so slowing the infusion, it, incorrect. Um, even at a slow rate, it will worsen the phlebitis, worsen that area. So slow is the incorrect verb. And in number two, it talks about stop, but notify the healthcare provider. So part of it is right, stop the infusion, but then you've kind of put the client aside and you've, you've gone to notify the healthcare provider. We still have to treat the client first. And so number four, it has removed the IV and apply the warm soaks. That's really addressing the client's needs. Um, number two, stop the infusion. You, you started out good, um, but you didn't continue working for the client. So that's why number four is the best one here. You know, as we talked about uh, kind of in, in the initial introduction with, with Matt and I speaking is that with the four option multiple choice, you can work your way right to the correct answer. You can eliminate answer choices that aren't safe or don't match the topic. Keep in mind that one answer is better than the other. So you can't just pick the first one that looks good. Make sure you read all four answer choices as we did and then go back and really compare and contrast those answer choices so that you don't just have a good answer, but you've got the best one that's offered. All right, let's change gears. We're gonna to move to select all that apply. And again, I've got three of these. Select all that apply are a little bit different. As we mentioned, you want to listen to each answer choice independently and think about how does that statement reflect back to the question that was asked. So here again, I'll read the question and I'll read all answer choices. There will be five or six of them. And then I'll go back and review the correct and incorrect answer choices. So you can easily play along as I read the answer choices. All right, the first one here. The nurse follows up a community education session by asking clients to describe ways to reduce their cancer risk. Which client statement requires clarification by the nurse? Which client statement requires clarification by the nurse? Number one, I will limit my exposure to secondhand smoke. Two, I will walk for 30 minutes at least five days a week. Three, I should stop eating meat. Four, I will lose 20 pounds. Five, I should not go outside on very sunny days. Six, I will avoid being around persons consuming alcohol. Now I, I read the actual question twice. And the reason for that is this is a negatively phrased question. Which client statement requires clarification? So if you think about that, which of these statements will you say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
because clarification means that you're, you will correct that statement. In other words, it's an incorrect statement by the client. So which statements required clarification? It actually was three, four, five, and six. Okay, now let me talk about these. Three, four, five, and six all required clarification. So for example, in number three, the client said, I should stop eating meat. Well, you should clarify that it's not necessary to give up all meat. Um, if the client wants to omit meat, then you really have to talk to the client about different ways to meet those dietary needs. So that requires clarification. Uh, statement number four said, I'll lose 20 pounds. Okay. We need to clarify that the fact that the patient should strive for a normal weight. You know, every client is going to have different weight loss or weight gain or weight maintenance goals, depending on um, age or gender or height. So we would want to clarify that statement that was too concrete. Number five, the client said, I should not go out on very sunny days. You want to clarify that? Because absolutely it's okay to spend a moderate amount of time in the sun. You know, you want sunscreen and maybe a protective hat. And then number six, I will avoid being around persons consuming alcohol. That also requires clarification. You're clarifying that the client, him or herself, should limit alcohol intake. But being around persons who drink, remember the topic, it's a risk factor for cancer. Being around people who drink isn't a risk factor. Now, statements number one and number two um, did not require clarification. They were actually true statements in ways that a client could reduce the risk of cancer. So if you remember number one, I'll limit my exposure to secondhand smoke. And number two, I'll walk for 30 minutes at least five days a week. Those are good statements in terms of limiting your risk factor. No clarification needed. And so once again, remember you have, to, it's all or none. So there's no partial credit. So to get that one correct, you would have had to have selected three, four, five, and six. All right, our second one. The nurse provides care to a client receiving packed red blood cells to treat anemia. What action does the nurse take? Number one, uses a 22 gauge needle for the transfusion. Number two, selects a standard IV tubing used with an IV pump. Three, checks the client name and blood product with a second licensed nurse. Four, administers 0.9% sodium chloride solution after the transfusion. Five, ensures the transfusion completes within five hours. Six, monitors for signs of transfusion reaction or fluid volume overload. All right, the question talked about the nurse provides care to a client receiving packed red blood cells. What action does the nurse take? So in this instance, we're looking for a correct nursing action. Number one and number two were incorrect, all right? Uh, an 18 or a 20 gauge needle is used for a blood transfusion. Um, the answer choice said use a 22 gauge needle, so that was incorrect. Um, in number two, it said select standard IV tubing. 
And actually, we have to use tubing with a, a blood filter when transfusing packed red blood cells. So number one and number two, incorrect. Number three and number four, correct. Three stated, check the client's name and blood product with a second licensed nurse, absolutely. You wanna check the blood products by two licensed care providers. You wanna make sure that you've got the correct blood product and you've got the correct client. Number four talked about using 0.9% sodium chloride solution. That's correct. Um, the solution, we have to flush the IV line after the transfusion is completed. So that is correct. Uh, and that's normal saline, just to clarify. Now number five was incorrect. We want blood products to be transfused within two to four hours. The answer choice said five. And the last one was correct. Monitor for signs of transfusion reaction or fluid volume overload, absolutely. So we want to make sure that we're monitoring the client for the first 15 minutes and then periodically thereafter. So since the client is being treated for anemia and might receive several units of red blood cells, there's gonna be a risk for fluid volume overload. So again, the client should be monitored, monitored frequently. All right, how'd you do on that one? Let's try one more select all by. The nurse provides care to a male client. The healthcare provider prescribes IV infusion of 1,000 mils normal saline over eight hours. What assessment finding causes the nurse to hold administration of the IV fluid and clarify the healthcare provider's prescription? Okay, what assessment finding causes the nurse to hold administration of the IV fluid and clarify the healthcare provider's prescription? Number one, you have a blood urea nitrogen or a BUN 18 milligram per deciliter or 6.43 millimole per liter. Number two, hematocrit 38%. Number three, urine output, 2,200 mils per day. Number four, urine-specific gravity, 1.008. Number five, sodium, 139 milli equivalent per liter or millimole per liter. All right, what assessment finding causes the nurse to hold the administration? So let's look at the correct answer choices first. Two, three, and four were correct. Answer choice number two was a hematocrit of 38%. Now, if we think about normal hematocrit for a man is going to be 42 to 52%. Okay, for reference, it's a little lower in a woman, 35 to 47. So given the hematocrit of 38%, the concern is that in the absence of bleeding, a decreased hematocrit could indicate fluid volume excess. So we would need further evaluation before we gave additional fluid. Number three, urine output is 22 mils per day. Compare that to normal. So the normal adult urinary output, you know, about 15 to 16 um, milliliters per day. 
So if you've got excessive urinary output, it could, all, it could indicate fluid volume overload. So again, we need further evaluation. We may not want to give this client more fluid. And then number four, the answer choice was urine-specific gravity 1.008. Compare that to normal. Urine-specific gravity is 1.010 to 1.030. So if we've got a decrease in that urine-specific gravity, it really is reflective of dilute urine, and it can indicate excess fluid volume. So again, we have to question, would we give this individual more fluid? So two, three, and four all require you to say, wait a minute, let me speak with the healthcare provider. As far as number one and, and number five, those were answer choices within normal limits. So there was really no reason to question the excess fluid. For example, number one had a BUN of 18. Normal BUN is about 10 to 20. And the sodium in number five was 139. Normal serum sodium, 135 to 145. So again, with, with the sodium within normal limits, really no reason not to give excess fluid. So here again, we kind of came across lab values. So it, it is important that you know whether a lab value is normal or not, but even more important that you understand what does that mean and what would be the appropriate nursing intervention. Okay, kind of think about those. Select all that apply. It's even more important to read slowly, read carefully, and read each of those answer choices independently, always asking yourself, does this answer choice answer the question? All right, I've got two more questions for you. They are both dose calculations. So they're pretty straightforward. If you don't have a calculator handy, that's fine. You should be able to um, kind of do these pencil and paper or even think your way through them. The first one reads, the healthcare provider orders methyldopa 650 milligram in an oral suspension twice daily. The label reads, 250 milligram per five milliliters. How many milliliters should the nurse administer for each dose? So the order is 650 milligram. The label or what you have available, 250 milligram per five milliliters. Do not round. All right, so the correct answer for this is gonna be 13 milliliters. Now on test day, you'll have a box in which you enter your answer. You'll want to put just numbers and a decimal point if needed. No commas, no units, because those will confuse the computer and your answer choice will be marked wrong. So in this case, you would have 13 in that box. So how did we get there? If you take a look at what's your desired over what you have on hand or what's available, what was desired is 650 milligram. Available was 250 in five mils. If you divide 650 by 250, that gives you 2.6. Multiply that by five mils, 
and that gives you 13. All right, let's try our last question. The client is to receive 1.2 million units of penicillin G potassium IV in divided doses every six hours. The medication vial contains 300,000 units per mil. How many mil will the client receive in a single dose? Okay, the client is to receive 1.2 million units. The vial contains 300,000 units per mil. How many mils will the client receive? Do not round. All right, if we take 1.2 million, divide by 300,000, the correct answer is gonna be four mils. And probably the most difficult one with that is really looking at how many zeros. How many zeros are there in 1.2 million? So you wanna make sure you're setting your equation up correctly. And then, then again, you can look at it. Um, what kind of number are you looking for? Um, and then plug it into your calculator. Have a sense of the number as you're doing the calculation, kind of as a double check. Well, Karen, those were some awesome questions. So thanks for, uh, for walking us through them. I know we got multiple choice practice in there, select all that apply and dose calculation. There are, of course, other practice questions that are, or say other question types that are on the NCLEX, but this gives us a shot at answering some of those three uh, question types that we'll definitely uh, very likely see on test day. So do you have, uh, before we officially close, do you have any other um, tips uh, for students who are out there potentially looking for ways to practice for this uh, NCLEX exam? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think practice is important and I'm sure you've heard in other podcasts that it's not just doing questions. It's really understanding the rationale behind the question, looking at the structure of the question and thinking about your thinking. So it isn't a matter of just racing through questions. Um, you know, at Kaplan, we have a lot to offer just in terms of assisting students with their thinking process. Uh, I, you know, I enjoy teaching our Kaplan review courses, but I know some additional products we have is really looking at our QBank online. I'm looking at our computer adaptive test online and some of those products. I think the most important piece is really understanding that you're working with those higher level questions that are challenging your critical thinking, that are requiring you to apply your knowledge and then really analyze the questions in and of themselves, and then taking the time to read the rationale, the explanation, to really find out why is the right answer right and why are the wrong answers wrong. Because if you simply study a question and you know the content forwards and backwards, great. That might help you on one question in the future. But if you understand the thinking process, that will make all of the difference as you move forward. Really great advice. And uh, as you said, you know, Karen, there's a lot of great resources to check out on our website. So I'd encourage you to do so if you are listening at home. Um, but Karen, I want to thank you again so much for uh, coming onto the podcast, uh, discussing some of these some of these practice questions with us, and talking through some of the strategies that we can apply to some of these questions as well. And as always, we'll certainly have to have you back on again as a guest on a future topic. So thank you again for uh, for coming onto the show for this episode. Well, thanks again for having me.
Of course, my pleasure. And for those of you who are listening at home, we hope you enjoyed this uh, ser- these series of practice questions to practice for the exam. Of course, this is not the real format that you will take the exam in. The, the exam is, of course, taken uh, through computer adaptive testing. So if you want to get some real hands-on practice in the format that you're going to see on test day, I would encourage you to check out kaplannursing.com. If you just want to get started with some free practice questions, we have 50 free questions waiting for you in our QBank free trials. You can check that out. And of course, if you want to learn more, if you're really ready to dive into fully preparing for the NCLEX, be sure to check out some of our course bundles where you can have the chance to have an amazing NCLEX instructor like Karen to walk you through some of the strategies you can apply on the exam. Or if you just want some great practice and review, check out our content and practice pack, which includes a QBank with 2,100 practice questions, our computer adaptive tests, and our NCLEX channel, which gives you the chance to review with live and recorded uh, sessions in a YouTube-style format that cover a wide range of uh, nursing topics that you will need to see, you need to review because you will see them on the exam. As always, follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at Kaplan NCLEX Prep. Uh, be sure to check us out. On YouTube, we have some great review videos for you there um, and subscribe to our podcast as well. As always, I want to thank you so much for listening to our podcast and we look forward to seeing you again in a future PrepCast.